Well, Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, besides the good news of the gospel, there's 74 more days till spring. That's all. Yeah, I, I always enjoy that. Hmm? Oh, wow. That doesn't make any difference. Snow comes and the snow goes. <laughs> and I shuffle and shuffle and shuffle. <laughs> okay, well, let's get started here with verse 1 of chapter 8. Moreover, the Lord said to me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to the record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeburrechiah. Isaiah was ordered to write this prophecy on something large enough to contain the whole prophecy with ordinary writing tools in use at that time and then to put it in a public place where all could read it. It's important that God ordered him to use a man's pen and write legibly so that everyone reading it would understand the words. Excuse me. Those that speak and write of the things of God should avoid obscurity, should avoid being obscure in what they say, and should study to speak and write so as to be understood. Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 2 says, in part, write the vision and make it plain. Write the vision and make it plain. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, verses 18 and 19, I thank my God. I speak in tongues more, more than ye all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And in the same chapter, verse 33, Paul also writes, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. <clears throat> Paul's statement about speaking five words with his understanding points out a very important aspect of speaking in tongues. Namely, that one speaking in tongues does not himself understand what he is saying. That is a spirit speaking, or it was the spirit speaking. And only an interpreter can translate the message in their desire to be considered super spiritual and to be blessed with a charismatic gift. It appears to me 
that some will allow themselves to be maneuvered into senseless gibberish, and for whatever reason, another will render a translation to be part of the spiritual association. The charismatic gifts are just that, gifts. Not to be turned on and off by the speaker, but given to edify the church by the Holy Spirit and at his timing, not when wanted or desired by the speaker. Enough said. If we want to talk about this sometime, I'd be glad to, to tell you about my experiences. Isaiah, <clears throat> you'll notice, called Uriah and Jeremiah to be witnesses to this vision and the prophecy that he was about to write. That was to ensure its authenticity. For out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That's, you'll find it in John chapter 18, verse 16, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 15. God directed Isaiah to call this book Maher Shalal Hash. Bas, which is translated, make speed to the spoil or hasten to the prey. And this prey is P-R-E-Y, victim. Intimating that the Assyrian army would come upon them with great speed and destruction. Just as Isaiah's first son was named Shir Chashub, which translates, a remnant shall return, or shall remain. And that was the title of a sermon in chapter 7 that we finished last week. <clears throat> so also his second son, Maher Shalal Hashbas, was a title of this sermon. Isaiah's sons were to be signs to the nation of Israel, Every time their names were called, it would serve as a memorandum of the judgment that was approaching. When we look with pleasure on our children, it should be with the same, the same thought, that we know not what they are yet reserved for, what they will accomplish someday. We know it will be in God's will, and under his mercy. When my dad died, mom asked me if I would stop using J.R., Junior, after my name. I thought about it, and I told her, no. You see, every time I sign my name, James and Siler Junior, I remember my dad and the love we shared. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what I did. 
Verse 4 says, For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Syria and Israel, both with evil intentions against Judah, were to easily be overwhelmed by Assyria. Isaiah prophesied that before his second son could say mommy or daddy, which would usually occur within the first year or two of his birth, before that happened, that the king of Assyria would attack, overwhelm, and plunder both confederates, removing everything of value and taking taking it to enrich his kingdom. A note from Matthew Henry says that those that spoil others must expect to be themselves spoiled. For the Lord is righteous, and those that are troublesome shall be troubled. And we think about that in the world today. I think of the beatitude spoken by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and the blessings that are ours when we follow his leading in treating others. The choice between blessings and curses remains for each of us to make. So many things in our life are a matter of choice. There were also many in Judah that were not satisfied with the house of David. And they were more aligned in their hearts with Syria. And they would also become overcome by Assyria because they refused the comforts that the prophet had declared or promised them if they turned to the Lord God Almighty. The waters of Shiloh, which were calm, peaceful, and slow-moving, they turned down in favor of something more exciting in their minds. They thought they would do better with the kings of Israel and Syria that were at that time invading Judah than they would if they remained loyal to Judah and the house of David. But there was a judgment coming. It was coming their way from God for this sin. The same king of Assyria that would destroy Israel and Syria would also be the scourge and terror of those that had turned against God in Judah. Verse 7, Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. 
and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, <clears throat> O Emmanuel. Because they refused the waters of Shiloh, which were a symbol of God's peace and love, God would send other waters, namely, symbolically, the Euphrates River. The country of Assyria lied along the river Euphrates, north and east of the kingdom of Israel. And God uses the image of that river flooding all the land to represent the king of Assyria and his mighty army, that mighty armor that would come against Israel, Syria, and Judah as well. Remaining in my mind very clearly is the night of August 19th, 1955. We, that is, my parents, my sister, and I, lived about 200 yards from the Farmington River in Pine Meadow. We had extremely heavy rain, the result of a hurricane that passed close to the south and east of Connecticut. In fact, the, the result was 19 inches of rain in 24 hours. The river had started to rise during that day, and just after dark, the sirens alerted us and all other residents of the real probability of flooding. In fact, the sirens were alerting us to evacuate and head for high ground. Long story short, the water rose to four and a half feet inside our house, on the first floor of our house. And I spent 11 hours in the water that night. trying to help rescue as many neighbors as possible. The force of the water was unbelievable. And added to that was all the debris carried along with the rushing waters. I say all this to explain my understanding of the picture Isaiah paints of the devastation awaiting the nation of Israel. <clears throat> Believe me, the force of moving water is so great that nothing can oppose it or divert it. I watched, helpless to be able to do anything, as a firehouse in New Hartford twisted off its foundation and went down the river. Another house that carried a, a man to his death followed the firehouse. 
Now, there was no way, even if I'd been a strong swimmer, there was no way that I could have gotten to him. We've all seen on TV news of the horrible damage in different areas of our country. This symbolic flooding was meant to demonstrate the mighty army of Assyria that would overrun everything and everyone in its path. Isaiah goes on in verse 8 to say, And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and his army would pass through Judah, and meet with so little resistance that it would look more like a parade through the countryside, like a flood overrunning the normal banks of the river. If you're driving south on Route 44 below New Hartford, there's an area well above the river and bordered on the riverside by a concrete wall. We used to call it the dugway. The 55 flood was so high that it was over that wall all the way up to the railroad tracks. You can just see the roadbed now. You can't, the tracks are gone. All the way up to that roadbed. The roadbed itself is still there. And the floodwaters completely destroyed Route 44 on the, if you will, the land side of that wall. I walked down through there later on the 20th with another fellow. We had a, a five-gallon can of milk from Burdick's Dairy that he couldn't, he couldn't keep, he couldn't refrigerate it. And we carried it down to Pine Meadow and distributed to people that were there. And it was, you know, slabs of concrete on angles like this and all, you know, holes in the ground, just unbelievable damage. And that was just that small section. Now remember what my father, who was a Railroad buff had told me one time. The next morning when I got light, I walked to New Hartford walking on the ties, not the rails, but the ties of the railroad with the, the uh, rail bed washed out underneath me, water running underneath. But the spikes that they put into the ties to hold the rails are so strong that you can walk on the, on the ties themselves. And I walked up to New Hartford. I 
I just wanted to find someone to let my folks know I was still safe. And when I found someone who promised to do that, I turned around and went back down the tracks, back to Pine Meadow to see what else I could do. I'm not saying that so you'll think anything of me, but so that you'll understand how severe this picture of a flood really is. Some of you may have been through them in your lifetime in one place or another, but you've seen whole towns. Starting in Winston, the whole, it would be the southwest side of Main Street was gone. That was all buildings, stores, and especially apartments, homes, completely gone. Torrington, the whole center of the town was gone. There was a Bailey Bridge there in the center of town for some time afterwards. And on down the river, Thomaston, Waterbury, right on Naugatuck, Beacon Falls, right on down the road, all the way to the ocean, to the sound. It was just, just like someone had taken a big plow and just plowed right through. Yes. Yes, yes. Per, per capita, New Hartford and Pine Meadow lost more people than, than any other city in the state. Yeah. yeah. Now, in saying that he would reach even to the neck, Isaiah was saying that Senator Ribb would advance all the way to and lay siege to Jerusalem. Matthew Henry says, in the greatest deluge of trouble, God can and will keep the head of his people above water and so pre preserve their comforts and spiritual lives. The waters that come into our, their souls may reach to the neck, but there shall their proud waves be stayed. Then the image of a giant bird of prey, whose wingspan fills the whole land of Judah, refers to Zinnacherib's army in its magnitude and its size. It does not change the fact that Judah is Emmanuel's land, no matter how great that army was. Judah is Emmanuel's land. Jesus would be born there. He would live there. He would preach there and put, perform his wonderful miracles there and be crucified there. And praise God, you also would be resurrected there. 
Emmanuel's land, although it might have been deluged by the flood of Assyria, shall not be destroyed. God's will be done. In Isaiah 59, 19, we read, For when the enemy shall come in like a flood, Emmanuel shall secure his own and shall lift up a standard against him. Emmanuel, God with us. I mentioned last week that if, he, if Jesus wasn't Emmanuel, God with us, he could not have been Jesus the Savior. Because on in verse 9 to say, Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Excuse me. And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourself, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And he repeats that. Gird yourself, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Returning to the threats King Ahaz is facing, Isaiah again, speaking for God, warns the association formed between the ten tribes in Syria that even though they make their best attempts at attacking Judah, they will fail to take Emmanuel's land. Even though they think they have formed an alliance that seems to be much more powerful than the forces of Judah, no matter what provisions they make for arming themselves and their build-up of weapons of war, no matter how much they encourage each other in the way of pep talks and rallies, they will not prevail against Judah. Isaiah says next, take counsel together and it shall come to naught. Speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us. You can call all of the meetings, conferences, planning sessions with all the best military and political representatives you can muster, but all those preparations will not be successful in your attack on Judah. You can give the command to initiate the attack, but you shall fail because God is with us. Emmanuel. There is no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, if the Lord commandeth it not? God is with us. Emmanuel. The Messiah is to be born among us, and a people designed for such an honor cannot be given up to utter ruin. God is with us. He is on our side to take part and fight for us. And if God be for us, who 
can stand against us. Oh, that we could say the same for our nation today. Verses 11 and 12. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of the people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. The people were so worried, in fact terrified, by the pending invasion. The whole house of David was troubled to the point of making offers to the king of Assyria, of giving their wealth, their land, and even their very existence as God's chosen people. God instructed Isaiah not to fall into the same pit of despair, not to talk as they talked, not to enter into any pact with Assyria. Listen, don't be caught in a disabling panic when your best efforts don't seem enough. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's such good advice, but so seldom followed. Why are we so apt to go along with a liberal tide, to be socially correct, to be of the popular, worldly opinion when we know it is not right, not right in God's eyes? Isaiah gives some advice. He says, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. We must view God as a Lord of hosts who has all power in his hand and rules over all creatures. So he can call on them at any time to bring them to assist us. Removing our needless troubling fears. Properly viewing him as a holy God he is and sanctifying his name, giving him all the glory he is due. We let him be our fear when we give him our full reverence and stand or kneel in awe of his holy sovereignty. When we are afraid of displeasing him and do all we can to absolutely obey him, the world, including perhaps some of your close friends or family, probably will not understand your lack of fear. Your lack of fear and lack of worry when they know you are facing a situation 
that they find would be terrifying. And you are trusting in God for his solution. 1 Peter 3, verses 12 through 15 tells us, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? <clears throat> but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, and answer that with meekness and fear. You've all... <clears throat> I don't know what's going on here this morning. <clears throat> I got a pastor thing. You know, I, I'm sure you've all had an experience where under worldly conditions, people would expect you to be terrified. What am I going to do? Where's the money come from? How am I going to do this? What about my kids? All these things. But yet they see you with that peace. The scripture says, a peace that passes all understanding. They can't understand. Sometimes God will use that to draw them closer to you. Sometimes they'll just be to perhaps talk to you and then go their way again. But they heard what you said. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after, after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. He was, of course, saying himself. He was saying, fear me. Many have asked Jesus into their hearts to avoid going to hell. Going to hell where they deserve to go for their sins. And these words of Jesus are a reminder of that blessed assurance we have by faith in him of eternal life. How terribly frightening our lives would be without Jesus. Just think of it sometime. I can't imagine. I can't imagine not having Jesus part of my life and me being part of his life. I can't imagine that. So I, I, I can't imagine the terror that people are in that don't 
know Jesus. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many of them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Worshiping, oops, it's time to, I'm sorry, it's time to wind it up here. We'll pick up tomorrow. I mean, you want to do it tomorrow? <laughs> I'm retired. I have no schedule. Okay. We'll pick up tomorrow with. <laughs> we'll pick up there next Sunday. You pray with me, please. Yeah, I hear you. I'm sorry. If you don't have a smartphone, you have to do it differently. <laughs> Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your comforting words. Thank you for the anticipation of what's coming as we hear more and more about the Messiah. Thank you for your touch on our lives. Thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you for all those that couldn't make it. We give you all the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor?